Hey everyone, this is Josh Itzo, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Welcome to episode number 16 of the Fiduciary You podcast. My guest today is Ray Conley, who is CEO of Benetic. Benetic is a new advisor-centric platform that brings together record keepers, asset managers, and other service providers. Advisors can search for and select plan service providers, choose a fund lineup, and generate a proposal in minutes, making the selection and maintenance of retirement plan services easier and more efficient. On today's episode, Ray and I discuss his background as a venture capitalist, fintech in the ERISA space, and we take a deep dive into Benetic, how the platform works, the revenue model, how data and privacy is handled, as well as much more. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fiduciary You podcast. Ray Conley, thank you so much for being a guest on the Fiduciary You podcast. I'm excited about today's conversation. Uh, Josh, thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you today. So you are CEO of Benetic, which is a new platform that is advisor-centric, but it allows advisors, you have a great tagline that says that you advisors can turn things that take months into minutes, and it's really a way to vet and RFP record keepers and asset managers. Really excited for the audience to learn a little bit about, about Benetic. Why don't you just kind of describe in your own words, what is Benetic and, and why, why now, why'd you create the platform? Great. Well, Josh, thanks for uh, the opportunity and, and appreciate the question. Benetic is a marketplace for retirement services. And it's a way that retirement plan advisors can very quickly find record-keeping services, investment lineups, and compose complex retirement plan proposals for their clients. And when we talk about turning months into minutes, as anyone who's been to this process knows, there's a long process of requesting quotes from various service providers, collating that into an apples to apples comparison, especially at the detail level, and also thinking through what's the best investment lineup uh, to offer your client, and then following up on that process to deliver those types of results. And what we've done is automate that entire process so that the advisor can focus on client service and not on filling out a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint or having to do a lot of this redundant non-value add work. And so we took an approach that recognized this is an industry based on relationships and we're respecting those relationships and in fact, making them more effective so that advisors can communicate more effectively with their wholesalers on both record keeping and the fund side and allow them to get more information and be more effective in their decision-making process. But for all of those parties, the things that just simply take a lot of time to enter data, get it entered correctly and process that information, we've simplified it and automated it. So that's, that's the real angle. Best part is, at least for advisors, accessing the, the marketplace is, is free for them to use it. Okay, great. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. So, you know, how do you think that, that I want to ask one question and then I want to get a little bit of your background because I think it is, it is interesting how you came into the space, but 
how do you think certainly there's from a time allocation and and that helps from profitability and scale but how does Benetic help advisors actually be better fiduciaries to their clients? There's a few ways we can help them. The most significant is making sure that they are getting the best solution for their client. And when I say best solution, it's not, this industry has been stuck in a race to the bottom on fees. And the consequence has been a lack of focus on service and a lack of focus on value. And the participants suffer as a consequence of that. Just because an investment fund might have the lowest fee doesn't mean it's going to deliver the best outcome for the client. Or a record-keeping service might be listed as the lowest fee, but is that really what that particular demographic of clients need as they approach retirement? So the first part is helping the advisor see multiple attributes of the service providers that's not simply price. So how do they do on participant education? How do they do on security? How do they do on technology? How do they do on administration? All of those things matter. And it's not simply a question of price. So we allow the advisor to make sure that they understand the plan's requirements, what their needs are. Maybe they had an Eckers correction and they're like, God, I really need to have better administration this time around. So let's identify service providers that have that capability so that they can better serve their clients. And so it's a focus of not simply price alone. It's a focus on all the things that go into delivering a great outcome for the clients. So that that focus on value is really important. The other thing we do because of the automation is it allows the advisors to see a lot of other vendors very quickly so that you can truly do a good benchmark or a good coverage of the market. And it also, because it produces the amount of time required to do that, allows you to do it more frequently. So instead of waiting every five years to do a plan review, you can do it every day if you wanted to, but we allow you to really speed up that process and and stay on top of it better and monitor it better. All right, so Benetic was founded in 2018, is that correct? Yes. Okay, so here's my question. You mentioned Epicurs. Before 2018, had you ever heard of Epicurs, the employee no. plan? No, no. Okay. So that that leads into actually a really good a really good discussion about your background because you've you've been in the investment world, but you were more from the venture side as a as an investor. Is that correct? Yes. So I I started investing in tech companies in 1997. I was with a venture capital firm on Sand Hill Road, right in the middle of Silicon Valley did my first fintech, well, it wasn't the first first fintech investment, but the first one in the retirement market was financial engines. So our firm was an early investor in that company. And I really did. You guys did pretty well. You guys did pretty well on that, uh, yeah, that right, investment. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know much about really anything about the 401k market at the time. It was more of an investment in Sharp's idea for how to do portfolio optimization. And we learned a lot of hard lessons through that because the original business model didn't work. The original business model was, hey, we're going to charge $150 online for people who want to improve their portfolio. And no one used it. And we're like, God, why wouldn't someone want to spend that money to, to get a better portfolio outcome? And, I, and there were a lot of reasons <laughs> why they wouldn't do that. But it wasn't until the company pivoted to say, 
let's go to the, the plan sponsors and use this as a way to improve. Back then, they didn't even have the term wellness, but it was yeah, how do you help the employees do a better job that, that the business really started to get traction. But as we were doing that, we made another investment in a company called Implanet. Doug Manchester had been leading a lot of Fidelity's efforts at the time. We were creating an, the first online record keeper. This was back in 99, 2000 timeframe. That was when I learned about the record keeping even, even existed. I didn't know what record keeping was. It was a big learning experience to us because the industry wasn't ready for the change. That was 20, God, 21 years ago. Everything else was moving to the internet, but we weren't ready to do it then. And so it was those kind of early experiences that helped me recognize that the venture capital model is, I'll say Silicon Valley, for, and, and you could apply this for most VCs, is not well suited for the retirement industry. And, and it's because as a VC, you might have a wealth manager, you know the wealth management industry, you look at how inefficient that is. And so ideas like Wealthfront are no brainers. You're like, wow, that's a great idea because they know that market. But most of them don't have 401k plans. That's a minor thing when they think about it. And they definitely don't understand the retirement industry. So a lot of I'll say Silicon Valley startups that have attempted to go after the retirement industry have failed both because investors don't understand this market because it's kind of arcane and they come at it without realizing that this industry operates very differently than most financial services businesses. And, and I think that's because you're governed by ERISA. You're, this is the, one of the only industries that has both the Department of Labor and the Internal Revenue Service looking over your shoulder. Right. And as a consequence, there's a lot of rules and a lot of things that happen that are not intuitive. And so to your point, when I came into this, I knew enough to recognize it was a great idea, but it was a steep learning curve in the early days as well. So there's a lot of industry lingo and jargon I had to learn pretty quickly right. to get up right. to speak on this. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I actually started my career. First real job was in the late 90s for a technology startup through the go-go days and we wound up going public and whatnot, but we had, we worked with a lot of government agencies. And I would say that the government is probably the only industry that uses acronyms more than the finite, than the 401k world. Uh, so from that perspective, how'd you originally come up with the idea for Benetic? Where that, where did that, that come from? There isn't a lot of money flowing and, and that's actually the idea, a lot of this inefficiency, I think, as as 401k advisors. And I think there's a there's probably a, a data access element. And I want to explore that a little bit with you as well. You know, a lot of on the private client side, you've got the big custodians, the Fidelities, the Schwabs of the world that to their RIA clients that they serve, they've opened up the data pipe. And so now you've got a proliferation of, of really good private wealth focused fintech that is able to easily access data and then turn that data into insights for advisors to be able to scale and to be more profitable. The challenge, and I think it's only gonna get worse with a focus on cybersecurity is a lot of the big record keepers, even you know a company like Fidelity, which, which serves both the, the 401k market and the, the, the RIA market, on the retirement side, vendors have been much less open about 
giving access to data. And I think there's a, I think there's a number of reasons for that. And you you seem to have been able so far, at least, to kind of crack the code with getting those those vendors to be more open about about giving up data. But where did the idea from Benetic originally come from? How did you stumble across it? So back again, twenty years ago, a, a fellow who was an MIT fraternity brother of mine, and then worked with me at the venture capital firm, had uh, gone on to work at Google and, and, and a few other places. And, and he had a friend who was one of the premier attorneys in this industry. They'd been putting their heads together, talking about the problems of the market and this data issue. And so between them, they came up with the idea. And so my buddy Duke came to me with, here's the idea. And, and it was more than solid. Idea. That's a solid name, by the way. Is, there, <laughs> is that the only guy named Duke that ever graduated from MIT? That's a good question. I'll have to search the <laughs> database. And, and he said, you know, there's this challenge, which is in because we had both been involved in that record keeping deal in the past. There's 400 different types of services a record keeper can provide, and they charge for it six different ways. You know, is it per participant? Is it on an asset basis? Do you do it monthly, quarterly, one time? It, you know, and and he said, even though he ran Google's mobile ad business, he said this is by a factor of ten the most complex data model I've ever conceived of. So, if anyone in the retirement industry thinks it's complex, I've got independent validation. This is an insanely complex problem, and explains a lot of the reason why it hasn't been automated in the past because the computer science problem you had to solve is actually really hard to uh, embrace the variations of how everyone works together here. And that's why it's traditionally been a manual paper process where you have people having to think through all those exceptions and corner cases. And so Duke figured it out and, and he laid out that opportunity saying, if we can create this standard interface, we could then allow record keepers, asset managers, the advisors to come together and have this unified digital experience. But the piece that the legal side brought in or the, the industry experience was you can't break relationships. You still have to respect this business gets done through those personal relationships. There's a lot of trust involved. And, and so how do you leverage technology to bring efficiency to the things that should be made efficient, which is what it's great for, but also allow the business model and the way you deliver it be in a way where everyone actually makes more money, not get squeezed out. And, and of course, from a fiduciary point of view, benefit the client first and foremost, or the participant. So when he, when he presented that to me, that's when I was like, wow, this, this is a, a, an enormous idea because one, it's no one's ever really figured out how to crack the code on this. It's a huge market and it's one that is desperate for someone to deliver a good solution that can that can help people. Yeah. The 401k side needs more and more innovation. There's no doubt about that. And and what you've mentioned before, we really see it and and I've mentioned this on prior shows and in prior discussions, but you know, having previously been a co-founder of a large RIA that we scaled and having both sides of the business. You know, all the private wealth folks, they got to play with, they were the cool kids that got to play with the cool toys. And we were like on the 401k side, it's like, 
you know, our tech and tools were is like playing with a slinky on the steps. Well, you know, all the, all, all the kids on the other side of the business were playing like Xbox. So I think it is a market that is desperate for innovation and that's desperate for more investment and more, more tech. Cause that's the real challenge we have as, as advisors on the retirement side is it's hard to raise fees on clients, but clients are asking advisors to do more. And part of that, I think, is the, the response to what you said. I do think record keeping, and, and I'll probably take some arrows in the back for this, you know, I think the single most important participant in the entire fiduciary ecosystem, not surprisingly, is a fiduciary advisor, because I think they provide the leadership and the accountability to clients that that really no one else in the system is really willing to step up and do. And, you know, record keeping, there are, you had mentioned corner cases. I often refer to that as edge cases. I'm assuming we're talking about the same thing where it's more these, these kind of the exception, not the rule, these more obscure issues that, that pop up that are really hard to kind of predict ahead of time. Is that a fair, yes. a fair way to describe corner case in your opinion? Yes. Yeah. And so that, that, that does create challenges. It does absolutely create challenges at times, but I think record keeping has become, they won't want to hear this, but has become more commoditized just like for advisors, you know, investment selection and monitoring in many cases has become much more commoditized than it was maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. But the, the challenge as an advisor is declining service levels on the record keeping side. And I think that's in response to transparency around fees and this race to the bottom as, as you described it. And so what's happening is more and more record keepers are, they're hiring more junior people who don't have the same experience. I think they're moving clients more towards self-service because they're trying to kind of maintain their margins and their profitability. But what happens is advisors have this indirect fee compression because they can't raise fees, but now they're having to do more. And I think that's, you know, I think if 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 you can crack the code with Phonetic and you can get hours back for advisors that they can redeploy into high value activities instead of, or high payoff activities instead of valuable activities like, you know, monitoring service providers, but that are low profitability activities. I think that there's a lot of success. Who's the kind of the, the target market for you with Benetic? Is this any financial advisor? Is it more up market? Is it down market? Where do you see the, the, the target for you being? So we had as a design criteria when we built this that if you were a consultant working on a billion dollar plan, with all types of bells and whistles, we could allow you to do that. And then if you can solve that, I'll say extreme case, to you introduce an, a user interface and a simplification so that if you're only doing a couple plans a year and this isn't your core business, but you just need to be a good fiduciary and get it done, you could come in and get it done quickly and not get confused. So. When you use this initially, literally in five minutes, you could go from zero to done with a proposal, but you could dig deeper into the plan and really create something beautiful and complex if you wanted to do that, depending on your level of, of, I'll say, experience and how much you want to do in plan design and that type of thing. So what we've found initially are a lot of the folks who are with aggregators have started to use this because there's a focus on both efficiency, there's a certain degree of flexibility in how 
they tend to be organized to be able to, you know, each office will pick it up and use it. And some of the home offices have already said, hey, this is a great way for our teams to get leverage and, and, and grow faster. We've started to have a couple of broker dealers start to use it. The BDs tend to be a little bit slower just because they have much more bureaucratic approval processes to you know, let the rest of the organization use it. But the ones who get it and are early adopters are already getting some, some great leverage on it. And then we've had, you know, I mean, we've only been live for almost three and a half months now, but quite a few independents have come in and started using it as well. So, but if you're an advisor who's serving a retirement plan, this is a no brainer. So how many, how many advisors across the spectrum, how many advisors do you, would you say just ballpark do you think are using the system right now? I've seen 85 log in in the past okay. uh, little bit here, just in the past few days. And that is across over 50 firms. And we've had a few hundred million of proposals run through in the past few weeks. Great. And how many record keepers do you currently have in the system ballpark? I think you launched with like seven, about 20 now. So yeah. you launched, I think, with seven. So in three and a half yeah. months, you've gotten another, you know, you've, it sounds yeah, like you, the throughput you've tripled really that. Limited by how our, our team's ability to get people on board, but it's pretty easy. So how did you, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting and and from from as I understand it is, you know, you mentioned that billion dollar plan. That's it's true specialists that are 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 working with billion dollar plans that I'm not so sure the advisor that only has two plans can actually be that good of a fiduciary because I'm not sure they they actually have the depth of experience to really know. It's, it's not just what you know, it's, it's, you know, it's what you don't know in a lot of ways that can kind of sink the battleship. But there is the ability, it seems like, to, I'm a big golfer. And so with the tech now, with drivers, you can, you know, you can take your wrench and you can, you can tweak your driver and, you know, you can change the loft and you can change the lie angle and so on and so forth. If, if you're so inclined you can really dial in the way you want your driver set up. And I sense that that's similar with Benetic that, you know, you've got a lot of these data inputs and, you know, obviously the more data that you put in as an advisor about your client, it seems like there's a dynamic pricing element that record keepers have that you give them more information and they're going to be able to dial in their specific pricing. Is that a fair way to describe it? Exactly. So, as an example, when you put something together, we allow you to just directly contact the wholesaler to discuss the particular details of the plan. And then there's a way for them to do the feedback loop and then update uh, the request okay. based on those specificities. Absolutely. So how did you get record keepers to agree to do this? I mean, everybody knows record keepers hate giving the <laughs> benchmarking pricing. They want real deals sure. and, and they do it. They do it begrudgingly in many cases. How did you convince record keepers that this would actually be good for them as opposed to bad for them? Right. So the record keepers, by and large, recognize that this is a technology arms race. And the only way they're going to survive is by continuing to invest in technology that's going to help them be more efficient. And They also have a desire, but until Benetic really didn't have a way to communicate their differentiated value because a lot of advisors are just looking at saying, well, what's the price? What's the price? And they're not recognizing that 
different record keepers have distinctly different business models, different service delivery. And there is a reason that someone might be more expensive and you'd be willing to pay for that more expensive solution because there's something special that you get with that. So the two things that we brought to the record keepers were number one, a way to be more efficient and still serve your client, maintain that relationship. So it's a, it's a cost savings play for them. And then the second one is a way to get your message out and show your differentiated value. So a, a broaden distribution, maybe reach out advisors. So at yeah. the end of the day, they're getting shots on goal that they never had a chance to see before. And from a data point of view, the record keepers still hold on to their data pretty tight. So we have very strict walls we put around what data is allowed. Uh, so the record keepers aren't really giving up information they wouldn't otherwise be giving up in a particular proposal. And we've designed the user interface in a way where they're not just going to get scraped for for prices as well. So okay. there, there's some thought that went into how to do that. How, how do you do how do you do that? So the way that the record record keepers configure their solutions, they can define what type of market the solution gets proposed to in terms of number of participants, amount of assets. They can tier it. They can say different solutions get priced different ways at different scale. They can also version it by firm. So if an aggregate- So if I have have 25 plans with a provider, I'm probably gonna get better pricing than somebody has two plans with that provider. Yep. Yeah. So allowing them to tailor their solutions for the relationships was a key part of this. And that's all configured by the record keeper on the back end. That's right. And is that part of just, it seems pretty plug and play for advisors, but it seems it's maybe the work on the back end with the record keepers, getting them since it it really is kind of probably all these different business models by record keepers. It's going to be truly kind of a unique custom setup. I'm sure there's maybe like a standard out of the box, but they're wanting to tweak on the back end. Getting, getting them presented. up and running is really easy. It's like literally a few hours. It doesn't take much at all. Okay. It's you get out what you put into it. So the yeah. more time they put in to put in different solutions or versioning, then they can get uh, really complex with how they offer it. So it's easy so, to get so started. Tu- so tu- tuning, it's easy to get started, but the tuning on the back end is is where it can take right. more time and they have the choice on whether or not they want to do that or not. Exactly. And then they can okay. get... We enable them to get real-time data analytics on how they're performing on the marketplace. So I can roll out as a record keeper, a new solution with a different set of services. And then I can say, hey, how did the solution with the stable value fund do compared to the one that didn't? Maybe I need to tweak the pricing to see which one the advisors are looking at more. So you're actually helping them from a kind of a product market fit perspective in some ways. This is, we turned Google Analytics into a dashboard for record keepers. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So the third constituent is asset managers. And I want to talk a little bit about what, you know, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but one of the concerns that I've heard from some advisors, certainly a lot of interests in Benetic, one of the concerns is the fact that it is, it's free to advisors. I've heard some people say, well, if it's free, I kind of feel like I'm the product. (laughs) Um, And so what's the revenue model for Benetic? How are you guys making money? How are you guys getting paid? What's that structure look like? So there's a a few elements to it. On the asset management side, to at least cover that part, what we've done is uh, go out to some of the most premier investment firms 
investment managers and put together collective investment trusts that have their assets in there that are now offered at, at some of the best pricing in the market. So we get some economics in the distribution of those funds. From a fiduciary point of view, we're able to meet everyone's needs because it's still the best price the advisor is going to get on those funds. And I always tell an advisor, hey, if you can get better pricing on the fund, as a fiduciary, you need to go use that better pricing. But at the same token, if we've got the best pricing in the market, you should probably use our funds. So there's that side of it. At the same time, the advisor can use any fund they want, as long as it's available on the record keeping platform. We don't restrict them from doing businesses they normally do it. It's our job to find funds that are both good and at compelling prices. So that's one piece. Because we've created a marketplace, there's a lot of additional services that can be distributed as well. 338s, for example, great way for the advisor that needs that extra fiduciary coverage to find a 338 advisor to help them out. And so there's opportunities to distribute for that. And also for the advisors, while we don't have it today, uh, coming soon, I'll say is the equivalent of the in-app purchase. So in the same way you can play a lot of video, you, you referenced uh, Xbox. There's a lot of games you can play for free right now, but after you do it for a while, there's other things you can buy to make your experience even better. I know because I get from Microsoft, I get the emails from my kids when they're my little guys, when they're playing Minecraft and, and I get this debit and I'm like, Who, what, what is going on? <laughs> Texture packs, I think they call them. So I'm, I'm very exactly. familiar that, that, that there's always a cost to everything in life. <laughs> right. So the basic service where the advisor can go in and do what they do, that's, that's always free. There's additional services that, frankly, they already pay for probably today for certain types of data analytics, that type of thing that we'll be offering in the future. So they can, if they want to use that extra stuff, it'll be better than what they've already got access to and and they'll choose to do that. Okay. And so is any of that, so it sounds like, you know, in, in, in part of your value prop to record keepers and asset managers is we're going to help you drive distribution. You're going to get at-bats and opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have, especially as we get the the advisors ramped up as more and more, if this becomes the industry standard for how advisors run the RFP process, then, you know, that's going to, you know, as an asset manager and record keeper, you better not be locked out of the marketplace because if that's where business gets done, are you guys getting compensated at all from record keepers? Are they paying us like a listing fee or anything like that or transaction fee nope. to be part of the platform? Or is it free to, for them free for the as well to be on, on the platform, free to record keepers? In the same thing, free for record keepers today, there is a similar concept that I'll say the in-app purchase for the record keepers for enhanced data analytics and some additional services that we'll be rolling out soon. But for them to be able to list their services and solutions and get the basic efficiency uh, and distribution on this, that's, that's free for them. Okay. So that makes sense, providing them some of the data and analytics from an Intel perspective so that they can get a better understanding of better handle on their business and how they're performing and how they can improve it, it sounds yeah, like. That's right. Okay. And then asset managers, you know, it's it's been really interesting just as you see within the industry, the Vanguard effect is real and, and a lot of asset managers, especially if they don't have a target date series or if they do, but they don't have a, a proprietary distribution platform. I mean, there's a reason that over half of target date fund assets are with, you know, Vanguard and Fidelity and T Row. They happen to have their own proprietary suites and then they've got these huge distribution mechanisms. But if you're a 
if you're an asset manager and you're a, you know, you have a, a target date series, but you don't have any way to actually distribute it, they've been locked out of, they've been locked out of that. And so I'm assuming that's partly why this is a way for them maybe to get back in the game. And is that partly why the revenue model they're willing to, you know, essentially Benetic becomes a, a business development person for these asset managers by helping them potentially get into opportunities again, that they wouldn't otherwise have the ability to do and do it in a much more scalable way than just one individual advisor at a time. Is that fair? And that's partly why they're willing to kind of share a little bit of their revenue with, with Benetic because you're giving them access to, you know, distribution they wouldn't otherwise have. Yes. And that's why BlackRock, for example, uh, was one of our first asset management partners because they recognize that opportunity. The target date arena in particular is something that lends itself well to active management. There's a lot of passive strategies out there, but I think any advisor who's looking at this recognizes that the actively managed target date series tend to do better uh, over the long run because that's really what you need to think about. I mean, there are obviously some good passive strategies out there as well, but how do you analyze those? How do you compare them? How do you say, what are the demographics of this plan and how well do they match up to the glide path or objectives of those participants? And that's where the advisor can really step in and help in target date selection. And I think that's a, as a fiduciary, if you haven't said, here's the reason I'm picking this series and this glide path for the following reasons, well, this plan, they shouldn't use target dates. So they really need to know what they're doing before they, they pick one. And we want to help them in that process of making sure they're making good target date selections if they go down that path. Certainly that is, I mean, I think for this generation of fiduciaries, the target date, the, the QDIA selection is the single most important investment decision that you can make. I mean, 60% of assets of dollars each year and growing are flowing into QDIAs, especially with the, the increase in automatic enrollment and automatic escalation. And so that is the single most important decision. Do you guys provide analytics tools within the system for advisors to evaluate funds? Is that part of the, the, the package yeah. as well? Or is that going to be one of those in-app purchases? What, what does that so look like? There, there are a set of tools for evaluating the funds in terms of looking at their different performance characteristics. And that's something that we are continually innovating on and improving and offering new, I'll say, analytic tools. So certain advisors look at funds in one way and depending on their philosophy, others look, use different types of analytics. So we're taking a lot of feedback from advisors today to say, what do the majority of folks look for? And we want to give that back to them in different types of tools. So okay. right now you can sort the funds by all different types of performance ratios, metrics, that type of thing. And we'll continue to improve that. Frankly, the visual interface and making that a lot simpler is something that's a big priority for us right now. Because okay. when you get in, especially with target dates and glide paths and thinking about that, it's complex. And we want to make it not only easier for the advisor to use, but easier for them to communicate to their client yeah. why they did what they did as well. Yeah. One of my big mantras is that too many advisors sell information and data instead of insights. And what clients really want is they want intelligent insights. So I think that's what you're saying in a lot of well. And, and you know, the most successful advisors that I've seen in my career, 
there's this innate ability to make the complex simple. And at the end of the day, this is a really complex business and you can overwhelm clients who, quite frankly, it isn't their core business. I, I would imagine when you came into this space, you were overwhelmed at, at, like you said, the complexity. Even Duke, he was overwhelmed with the complexity of the data model, right? So yes. let's talk about data a little bit, because I think that is an important, like how, how there's such a focus in the industry now on what I would consider to be cybersecurity, which is how you're protecting data, but then also I would say data privacy, right? How that data is then being used. What's kind of your take on data? How are you guys using that? What are you guys doing from a, a, a privacy perspective so that advisors know that from a cyber we're hearing left and right? And I think the Department of Labor just released within the past week or so, some recommendations around you know what cyber questions should be asked and what kind of controls are in place so how are you guys handling data what are you using it for and then then you know how are you protecting it so advisors can feel confident from a fiduciary perspective that they're honoring their their clients if you will sure sure so there's two layers to consider first is we take data very seriously as any i'll say tech company should and we've got some pretty good technology around protecting that. So, and I'll say the engineering folks that on the team have quite a bit of experience with it. So I'll say at least on the tech side, happy to go in the deep due diligence with anyone who wants to see how we've done that. Next level though, is from a business point of view, how do you think about data and how do you manage where the, the lines are? One of our principles is I'll say transparency. So if anyone ever wonders, hey, what are we doing with the data? We're very clear, we don't sell people's data. We use data to help people make better decisions. Uh, we use it in the aggregate for understanding market trends, or as I gave that example, if a record keeper said, hey, I put out a solution that included a stable value fund and one that didn't, which one works better? And so you can use aggregate data to help make those types of decisions. Why do I win? Why do I lose type of analytics? What we don't do is we don't touch participant level data. So that stays behind the record keeper's firewall. We don't pull in any of that. So at least our platform is insulated from that type of fiduciary risk. The type of data- so no personally, no personally identifiable exactly. information. No, which, yeah. no PII. No, so, yep, perfect. Okay. None of that stuff. And then that's how we keep ourselves clean and protected. The Data that does matter is you know, who are your clients, which plans they are. So there's a lot of, if you knew how to actually parse the 5,500 database, then most of that stuff's out there. Of course, the data is always stale. People still want to keep their client data protected in terms of who their clients are, that type of thing. So we obviously have a lot of good safeguards in place for that. Great, great. You know, as, as we uh, start to wrap up, What's the future for Benetic look like? Where where do you guys want to take this? And, and what's your vision for what the future looks like? Sure. So think of Benetic as kind of the Amazon.com for money. So we start with the retirement market. We're enabling investment firms to or investment managers to get their funds more efficiently distributed into the marketplace. Same thing for record keepers. And it's because we're making it more efficient for everyone who participates. And so that visibility, transparency in a neutral platform is the things you need to make the marketplace work. And we've now got critical mass where that's happening. And so, you know, the next few years, our focus is squarely on the retirement market and making that a success because it, it's sorely needed. 
longer term expanding into other ERISA areas, you know, you could say, you know, define benefit market is a place we could go to next uh, and expanding from there. But this is really well, a, wellness, wellness, financial wellness providers, I would imagine could be and, part of and that potentially. When, when I look at those areas, think about we're not going to try and replicate things that have already been done well. So I'm not going to create another financial engines, but I'm going to create a way where financial engines could get better distribution of their services right. to plans that could use it or someone that has a better financial engines, that type of thing. So yeah, we're, we're helping people get distribution of their services across the marketplace. That's what we're creating. Okay. That's great. Now that you've been in this world for a couple of years, what would be your single best piece of advice for ERISA fiduciaries who are listening to the podcast? What would you tell them? So I would say COVID has fundamentally changed the ballgame for everyone because this industry has gone in the warp speed online. People are now comfortable doing Zoom meetings. Conferences have gone online. You know, people still probably go to Napa and that type of thing. But you have to recognize the world has changed. It's gone online and it's not going back. And so you got to adopt the technologies that are going to allow you to be competitive in the digital world. And it's not just Fanatic, uh, which is an online digital marketplace, but everything you do is going online. And your clients did it too. And it's not just in the retirement world. This is happening systematically across the entire world and across every industry. Because we've never had something like this happen before that literally forced everyone in lockstep for a whole year to go online to get their whole life done. Work, socialization, everything. But now that it's done, that is going to be, when we look back 20 years from now, the single most significant event of accelerating technology technology adoption that's ever happened. And so as a consequence of that, if you've had traditional business practices that didn't leverage technology, you're going to get left in the dust. So if anything, you got to get on board with online if you haven't already figured it out. Great advice. Great advice. Where can people go to learn more or connect with you, learn more about Benetic? How can people sure. stay, stay engaged with you guys? Obviously, our website is www.benetic.com. So it's B-E-N-E-T-I-C.com. I always say it's, it's like genetic, only with a B. We thought about a tagline of saying benefits are in our DNA, but everyone said that was kind of corny, so we didn't do that. <laughs> but uh, benetic.com, uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Ray Conley is my uh, LinkedIn ID. If you Google Benetic Ray Conley, I think I usually come up on that. Okay. And I'll make sure to put in the show notes access to to all of this. So, Ray, this has been a really interesting discussion and I applaud what you guys are trying to do. Anybody that's bringing a tech forward approach to the ERISA space and the 401k space, having lived it for, you know, nearly 20 years, anything that can be done to help advisors work smarter, work faster, serve their clients better, I'm all for. And and, uh, I think listeners hopefully will get a lot out and Congrats on getting launched. And it sounds like the critical mass and the flywheel is starting to spin a little bit and really interested to see where things go for you. So thank you so much. And thanks for being on the show. Josh, thanks so much for having me on and uh, look forward to connecting again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Ray Connolly from Benetic. If you'd like more information or to learn more, go to fiduciaryu.com. I've got some great resources there for you, including each episode along with show notes, articles, and free tools. Make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. 
I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to the Fiduciary You podcast. Podcast.